Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. Hi, I'm Claire Murphy. This is Mamma Mia's daily news podcast, The Quickie. And shortly, we're going to find out how you can protect yourself from someone reanimating you after death using AI technology. But first, here's the latest from across the world for Tuesday, January 16th. Australian right-wing politicians have been blamed for stoking a culture war over January 26, despite their views not always reflecting the communities they represent. Coalition leader Peter Dutton called on Australians to boycott Woolworths after the supermarket decided to drop selling any Australian-themed merchandise in the lead-up to the day this year. Dutton and other Conservative politicians, such as Pauline Hanson, condemning the move as an outrage born from Woolworths' woke agenda. But sociology lecturer Rachel Busbridge from the Australian Catholic University says people's attitudes on the ground are changing, with only half of Australians now celebrating the day, recognising that it's problematic for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Joseph Fritzl, the man who kept his daughter imprisoned in the cellar of their home in Austria for 24 years, fathering seven children with her, could soon be released from prison, a report concluding he's no longer a threat to the public. Fritzl's lawyer says they're in the process of obtaining a conditional discharge for the now 88-year-old, a forensic psychiatric expert claiming Fritzl now appears to be confused, saying he talks to the TV, believing he's a pop star and talking about visits from family members that never happened. He may be sent to a nursing home to see out his days. Elizabeth, his daughter, who was confined from when she was 18 to 42, has changed her name, undergone intense therapy along with her six surviving children and now lives in an undisclosed village in the Austrian countryside. An interactive map that pinpoints the streets, parks and public areas across New South Wales where women feel most at risk has found a disproportionate level of residential areas are perceived as dangerous. The digital crowd mapping project relies on anonymous contributions from women and gender diverse people to pinpoint places where they've felt unsafe. The locations are then pinned on the map with thousands of entries logged across Metro Sydney and regional New South Wales. Many contributors referred to poorly lit streets and public transport transport hubs as places they marked as unsafe, following on from a 2023 Transport Department survey that found 59% of women felt unsafe most or all of the time in public spaces after dark, compared to 32% of men. Succession leads the nominations for the strike-delayed Emmys with 27 opportunities to take home a statue. Aussie Sarah Snook is nominated for her role as Shiv Roy and the show is considered the front-runner for the top honour of Best Drama. Best Comedy's 50-50 between Apple TV's Ted Lasso and Disney Plus's The Bear. Streaming services now making up two-thirds of the nominations, the highest share ever. The 75th Emmys were delayed from September due to the writers' and actors' strikes. The milestone number will be celebrated by honouring classic TV shows with cast reunions for shows such as Cheers, Game of Thrones and The Sopranos. 
That's your latest news headlines. Next, have you ever considered what you're going to do with your digital remains? Not just your Facebook profile or Instagram feed, but what about when technology allows people to use those social media platforms to recreate a version of you to interact with long after you're gone? Patrick Stokes, a philosopher, associate professor at Deakin University and the author of Digital Souls, a philosophy of online death, is pretty clear about how he feels about the digital remains that he'll one day leave behind. I'm actually pretty easygoing about it. I don't mind so much if they're all out there or whatever, but there are certain kinds of uses that would annoy me. If somebody were to take my digital remains and create a chatbot that started doing advertising for a political party, for instance, I'd be kind of annoyed by that. Or if it started endorsing a commercial product. You know, me now, as I'm living, that would annoy me. Now, there are two kinds of people in a way. There are people who say, yeah, but you're dead, so who cares? You're not going to feel it. You're not going to experience anything negative from that. What's the problem? And then you have people who think, no, actually, you know what? The dead matter and their interests matter even if they don't feel anything when you violate their interests. So there's different kind of, if you like, temperaments around death and how death matters and how the dead matter. To my mind, yeah, I think that there are certain things you could do to me after I die that would actually be pretty rotten things to do, and I'd rather people didn't do that with my digital remains. But beyond that, I'm happy for it to all be sort of sitting there open, and I don't imagine it'll be of much interest to anyone, but it's just there. There are now many who have passed and whose lives have been recreated in digital form using what they left behind without their permission, like Roman Mazarenko. On November 28, 2015, the tech entrepreneur was tragically killed in a hit-and-run accident in Moscow. He was only in his early 30s. He didn't have a social media presence, but his friend, Eugenia Kudja, had thousands of text messages he'd sent to her dating all the way back to 2008. The sentences filled with her friend's characteristically distinct voice. His mild dyslexia leading to unusual phrases so distinctly Roman. Eugenia was a software developer and had been working on a messenger app that utilised AI to recreate human dialogue. And inspired by an episode of Black Mirror where a grieving young woman installs an app that allows her to keep talking to her dead boyfriend, Eugenia modified her messaging app to allow her to continue to speak to her friend Roman's ghost. Since then, AI has reanimated many others, including celebrities whose careers go on despite them no longer being with us. Just last year, for example, the Beatles released their last ever single, Now and Then, using AI to isolate John Lennon's voice from a late 1970s demo that he'd recorded at his home in New York. Now and then, I miss you. Did he actually want to release that song? We'll never know. We only have the sentiment from those close to him that he would have been okay with it. We've seen actors whose characters from Star Wars films are brought back for the endless prequels, sequels and spin-offs. Audrey Hepburn was digitally reanimated to sell chocolate. Kim Kardashian revealed that her former husband Kanye West had gifted her a hologram of her late father Robert Kardashian for her 40th birthday. And singers like Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston have returned to the stage as holograms too. Reese Beecher, a Ukrainian AI startup, is reportedly currently in the process of recreating the very distinct voice of Edith Piaf, the French singer who died 60 years ago. 
Their CEO says with just half an hour of footage or audio, they can pretty much make it work. Some stars have already started to cotton on that their legacy might be tainted by this tech after they're gone. Comedian and actor Robin Williams reportedly had a clause written into his will that his likeness cannot be used for 25 years after his death. His daughter Zelda said some had already used his voice to say things he never said, saying she found it personally disturbing. So how do we protect ourselves from this if those with money and influence are struggling? Patrick, can you guesstimate, and I presume it's a guess because how on earth can we actually know, but how many social media accounts and other online profiles do you think are out there where the owners passed away? We absolutely have no idea, which is really interesting. We know that just on Facebook about 10 or 12 years ago, there was something like 300 million. But that's obviously like, you know, ancient history as far as the internet goes. So it's going to be an absolutely massive amount. The other interesting thing about that number too, of course, is it can only ever go up because, I mean, we do delete accounts sometimes. People do go through and clear out accounts off platforms. And of course, platforms fail too or they just disappear. But in theory, at least, the number of dead users in any given platform is only ever going to go up relative to the rest of the user base. And there is actually some really fun work that's been done trying to work out at what point some of the popular platforms like Facebook will have more dead users than living users. But it does actually point to a pretty serious problem, which is over time, these platforms turn into digital graveyards. Well, as someone who used to have a MySpace account, which got wiped out in the great purge of, I think, about 10 years uh, ago, yeah. there is some relief in sometimes these platforms failing. <laughs> I hope my MySpace account isn't still out there. I certainly <laughs> hope my live journals will still out. <laughs> well, can we go through what some of these platforms have in place for people who do pass away? You've mentioned Facebook already, and I know that they do have a memorialisation process for those who have passed away. What's Facebook's process for someone who's died? Well, they introduced a process all the way back in 2009, which happened because they were basically getting complaints from people that they were getting little pop-ups saying, hey, why don't you make friends with this person? Or, hey, you haven't spoken to such and such in a while. And it's like, yeah, because they're dead. So they introduced memorialization in 2009, where basically an ex of kin or somebody who's a close family member can basically use a contact through the website, fill in a form, send some proof to show that the person really is dead because otherwise you'd have people just like shutting down each other's accounts as pranks all the time or as a form of particularly aggressive trolling. Once you've shown Facebook, yes, this person's died, yes, I'm a family member, you then can basically say, well, I want you to do one of two things, either delete the account, in which case it simply is removed altogether from the platform, or put it into a memorialized state. So first of all, they add some language to the account name. So it'll say something like remembering John Smith or, you know, in loving memory of Jane Smith. So it'll say something so that people know they're dealing with the account of someone who's died. And then there are also certain restrictions on what the account can do. It can't do certain kinds of new posts and things like that. If you do that, it kind of turns into a sort of electronic wake because people are keep, you know, posting comments and things like that. So it's not a bad option, but this only happens, we think, to a real minority of dead account profiles. Have the other platforms followed suit with that kind of process? Um, I mean, Meta also owns Instagram, but there's others, you know, Snapchat and X and all the others that have these profiles. Are they following suit? Uh, yes and no. So it's all very ad hoc. We know, for instance, Google have got their legacy contacts set up so you can basically appoint someone to sort of 
digital executor, so to speak. Some of the email platforms have basically said, no, we can't give anyone access to someone's email accounts after they die without a court order. So it ends up becoming a legal issue. X, formerly Twitter, actually has a really bad record on this. So quite some years ago, they said they were going to start deleting the accounts of inactive or dead users. People then sort of said, no, that's not fair. You can't delete all these people who have died and they've left these wonderful sort of written legacies. We want them to survive. And Twitter, as it then was, said, yep, you're right. We're going to work on memorialization. And then they just never announced anything. And then once Elon Musk took over Twitter, turned it into X, he then said, well, we're going to delete a whole bunch of inactive accounts. There was, again, an outcry from people saying you're going to delete accounts of the dead. And he said, well, it's okay. We're just going to archive them all somewhere. So they won't be accessible, but they will be stored somewhere safely. And again, there was no more sort of further information about how that was going to work. And there were complaints from people that the online presence of some of their loved ones had simply been lost or had simply been deleted or at the very least was no longer accessible. And they were quite distressed by that. Well, what about in this age we find ourselves in now, which is starting to really be more and more tied up in AI? Mm. And we've already seen this happen with Many people who have tried to recreate their loved one in various ways in like a GPT sense, where it's like a chat bot where someone has Mm. recreated by using text messages or Facebook messages that were sent by that person to kind of recreate them digitally. And we've seen it in holograms, celebrities in particular, artists who are appearing on stage. We've seen just recently the work of John Lennon from the 1970s be recreated by his bandmates and two of which are no longer here with us, Mm. and whether that legacy changes that person who's passed away by new things coming into the world, which seems to come from them but really isn't them, how do we protect ourselves from being sort of reanimated by AI after we're gone? Yeah, it's frightening, and it actually kind of offends some very fundamental assumptions that we all really like to cling to about what human beings are. As you say, people have already started to generate chatbots and things based on dead people. It it feels like ChatGPT got here about 10 minutes ago, but we've actually had chatbots of specific dead people since about 2016, 2017, when um, Eugenia Coida released a chatbot of her dead friend, Roman Majorenko. And so you can basically take a whole bunch of information somebody has left, you can train an AI model on it, and you can create a chatbot that kind of sounds like the person. It kind of helps if you're expecting it to sound like the person and in some way preserve something of the way that person was in the world and how they interacted with people. Now, on one level, that's maybe not an entirely bad thing. It's good to remember people. It's good to keep people with us in a sense. It's good to sort of testify to the sort of person they were. So these chatbots can be seen as a way of memorialising the dead, which is something that we not only you know should do, but something that we maybe are even obliged to do. But on the other hand, I think there is a real risk with these chatbots that we end up sort of exploiting the dead, using them as a kind of a resource for the living. You know, I feel bad, therefore I'm going to use a chatbot based on this person to make myself feel better. And there's also a worry there that we end up sort of losing sight of the fact that the dead are actually dead. And we end up treating people as if they're more or less replaceable, right? So instead of, oh, it's terrible that my friend is gone, now I can't talk to her, It becomes, oh, it's terrible my friend is gone, but it's okay because this chatbot will give me most of what I got from her anyway. It'll be a bit off, but it's still pretty close, right? So there's a worry there, I think, that we end up treating people as if they're kind of replaceable and we end up sort of violating some of those boundaries between life and death, which may actually be really ethically important. 
it feels like it's a little bit out of our control. I mean, once you're dead, you're dead. And I guess a part of that argument could be, well, you're dead. Why do you care about what happens to your legacy and to your digital discussions? But should we be locking this stuff down now? Like while we're still in the world, should we be really making plans and maybe creating wills even that really clearly outline what can and can't be done with our digital footprint after we're gone? Well, I think it's always good to exert agency. I mean, it's also worth remembering too, these chatbots may be a way of exerting some agency, right? So, there, And there are some very simple uses of that. One is there are already services you can set up where it'll send an email after you die to your loved one. Say every year on their birthday, you can pre-write an email and it will send them that email after you die. Really simple bit of tech, you know, and that gives you a kind of posthumous agency, right? So that's not necessarily an inherently bad thing. But of course, it just depends what you actually then do with it, right? In the same sort of way as, you know, if I write a bad will and I end up, you know, creating havoc in the family or people get annoyed because they think the distribution of goods is wrong, then that's not necessarily a good thing. In the same way, maybe it's distressing to someone to get an email from me every year after I die. In terms of putting things like digital legacies into our will, so making sure that we're controlling our digital legacy, yes, it's a really good thing to do. The law is still kind of catching up around this stuff, but it's good to at least express your interests. And it's probably also a good thing to make sure that people around you have some idea of what you want done with your sort of digital legacy. If you're somebody who thinks, delete the whole lot or lock it all down or no, leave it all open, I don't care what happens to it. But beyond that, we have this problem that probably only half of people, less than half of people even have wills. Very few people are going to bother to even find out where to go to, say, set up a digital legacy contact or something like that in most of the services they go to. We don't think about death a huge amount or at least plan for our own deaths a huge amount. We try and avoid doing that to a very large extent. So what we really do need are regulatory or at least etiquette-based or norm-based approaches, if not legally regulatory approaches, so that there are certain kinds of use of digital remains that are no longer available to people. So things like, for instance, pornographic deepfakes and stuff like that. Should there be rules around that for dead people as they're emerging now for living people? So I think that there are certain kind of uses where leaving it up to individuals to manage their digital legacy is not necessarily going to cut it. We do actually need a broader set of regulations or at least expectations that apply to everyone. If you need to make changes to your last will and testament or even just make one to include your digital legacy contact or other digital remains measures, make sure you speak to someone with the legal knowledge to make it work right. But if you think that just when you go, your online presence will live on forever, you might want to think again. Well, there's that saying, isn't there? The internet lasts forever or five years, whichever comes first. And that's the thing with this stuff. We talk about this as digital immortality and isn't it great that everyone's image and words and voice and is going to live on forever it's all going to be there forever but of course servers fail businesses go out of business there were a whole bunch of what they call death tech startups which were these companies which appear and say we'll let you live forever if you sign up and fill in these forms or whatever else we'll create a digital avatar the problem with these companies is they tend to go under after a couple of years all this stuff just completely vanishes so digital immortality is a bit of a furphy because, in fact, your data is very, very vulnerable to a kind of second death where it's deleted or just lost. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. We appreciate you and your ears. If you want to join the conversations we're having about these topics online, 
make sure you follow The Quickie on Instagram. And if there's a new story you want us to check out, email us at thequickie at mamamia.com.au. The Quickie is produced by me, Claire Murphy, along with our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon. <laughs>